I want us to tonight to talk about Haman's response and how his response uh, is going to be immediate, and, but his response is also going to have some, some consequences as well. And this leads us to our big idea, and it's a quote from Thomas Watson. It says, God is to be trusted even when his providences seem to run contrary to his promises. Even when his providences seem to run contrary to his promises, God can and should be trusted even in those times. So Esther chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 5. It says, And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. And he disdained and laid hands on, to, to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast Pur, which is they cast lots, before Haman day after day. And they cast it month after month until, until the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces in your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people. They do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and an edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps and to the governors all over the provinces of the officials of all the people, to every province in its own script, and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with this king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate the Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, 12th month which is the month of Adar, to plunder and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in, all the, in every province and proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurried, hurriedly by the order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel, and the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Let's pray. God, as we look at your word tonight, I pray that um, you would make sense of this text. Uh, I pray that as we see complete and total chaos be thrown at your people uh, to know that they could still trust you 
even when things seem to be going completely out of control. Father, I pray that you would teach us valuable lessons as we look at Mordecai and his stand, as we look at Haman and his uh, unfaithfulness um, in all areas of life. And Father, I pray that you would teach us uh, what you want to teach us tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at Haman's response to Mordecai, not bowing down to him, not honoring him, not giving him any honor, we see this anger start burning inside of Haman. And it's going to lead us to a few few factors that we're going to talk about tonight. First of all, if you do not control your anger, it will control you. You know, this is something that mom and dad have probably taught you from a young age. Um, but if you do not control your anger, it will get the best of you. It will lead you to make some very bad decisions in your life. And when you consider Haman, I want you to just consider Haman for a moment. Life is really good for him. He has a great job. He's been honored by the king. He's been promoted to second in command of the kingdom. He has everything. He has power. He has wealth. He has authority. In chapter 5, we're going to see that, we're going to learn that he has a wife and a wife that supports him. He has friends that honor and support him. Everyone in his life gives him respect. Sounds pretty good. If you were to come to me and say, all right, Corey, here's the deal. We're going to give you the perfect job. You're going to have money, you're going to have wealth, you're going to have everything that you want. A family that supports you, friends that support you. The only catch is you're going to have one guy that doesn't like you in the entire kingdom. I'd be like, sign me up. That sounds pretty awesome. Sign me up. That sounds too good to be true. Um, One man, one thing that Haman cannot get over. One man that does not give him honor. One man that will not bow down to him. This one measly little Jewish man, Mordecai. He is blessed beyond measure. One man will not bow down, and that's all that consumes his thoughts, and it causes a fury to rise up within him. In him. Verse 5. Every day he's walking past Mordecai, he will not bow. And this hurts him. It's like a knife in his back. And that's all that... He thinks about this anger continues to consume him. So he begins, he comes up with this plan and he has these lots cast or this purr that is cast, a rolling of the dice. Um, Seems pretty odd to me that you would go to the gods for a good day to wipe out the Jews. He begins to play this game. He begins to cast these lots and In all of this anger, all of these consuming thoughts, he rolls the dice and determines the day. The day ends up being about 11 months away from the time that they make this decree. And he goes to the king. And the king really doesn't seem to give any thought um, to what Haman is asking him. You know, he trusts this guy. He likes this guy. He appears to agree with this guy. He gives him the ring. It's like, you know, giving the kid the, the... credit card and the car keys and say, go away. I don't don't want to hear this. So the edict is done. It's placed in motion. And these two guys are going to go out for a drink 
while the city sits in total confusion. Haman has to be overjoyed and completely excited in this moment. Mordecai is finally going to get what he deserves. And not just him, but all of his people as well. You can only imagine that Haman doesn't like the Jews just as much as Mordecai didn't like the Amalekites. Haman feels like, I'm finally going to get the honor that I deserve. And guess what? My people's enemy is finally going to get uh, the revenge that uh, they could have after all of these years. Haman didn't know about Proverbs 16.33, which says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And I know this, that verse is not necessarily about Esther, but it's true about all of life. doesn't matter what happens in this life. Every decision is from the Lord. His decisions are controlled by anger, by the fury that's welling up inside of him. But as we're going to see, the Lord is in every single decision that is taking place as this story goes on. And so his anger controlled him. Number two, if we do not control our anger, it will lead to our downfall. I want you to key in on verses 8 and 9 for just a second. Verses 8 and 9, and we're going to see this downfall of the truth that Haman is going to begin to tell to the king. He's going to start with some truth, and then it's going to turn into some lies pretty quick. There are certain people scattered abroad. Guess what? That's true. There are Jewish people. They're scattered all over the kingdom. They live amongst everyone else. True. We'll give him credit for that one. They're dispersed among the people. So, all right, check. You're telling the truth. Their laws are different. Okay, well, that's sort of. Here's where we start getting into a little bit of untruth. They have rules of their own. They have rules that they follow from their God. But they do keep the law. They do keep the law. And I'll prove it to you. When Esther was summoned, when all the virgins were summoned, guess what? She came. She didn't hide. She didn't run. She came. She obeyed the law. Now, did Mordecai bow to Haman like the king said that he was supposed to? No. So I guess he's about half right in this one. The king does not profit to tolerate them. Well, is this true? Let's look at that. No. He has people that are Jewish working for him. Haman works for him. Uh, I mean, Mordecai works for him. And also, think about it. His wife is a Jew. Queen Esther is his family, and she's Jewish. So to say that it is no profit to him is, is, is a bold-faced lie. And then, of course, I will pay you 10,000 talents to be placed into your treasury. This is all assuming that... When the Jews are wiped out, they are plundered. And I can take all of that plunder and give it to the king. It's all an assumption. It's not money that he would have had on hand. So Haman starts truthful. But very quickly, he's going to spin into a web of lies. So what do we do when someone is so consumed with anger, when someone is so consumed with hate or fury that they do this? One thing that we're going to have to realize is that when people are hurt, like Haman is hurt in this world, and it may not be from you, it may be from someone else, they're going to take it out on others. They're going to treat people poorly. 
when we get hurt, we disrespect others. And I have a very, I mean, obvious newsflash for each one of us here tonight. We are going to get hurt in this life. Someone is going to say something or do something in this life that is going to cause you pain. It's the reality of living in a sinful and fallen world. And this is a very hard principle for even our children to to comprehend. I remember Isaiah getting in the car just the other day and um, he looked plenty happy and he climbed into the car and everything was great. And about halfway home, I looked back there and he has these big tears in his eyes. I was like, buddy, what's wrong? This person was mean to me today. They said this about me. And just heartbroken over something that someone had said. And I just want us to take uh, the outside world out of our minds for a minute. Not the world that you work in. Not the outside world when you go to the store and someone's a jerk to you. Someone yells at you for not having a mask on. Maybe you're yelling at somebody for not having a mask. Whatever. But take the outside world out of it for just a second. If you are around church very long, you're going to realize that people inside of the church are going to hurt you. Uh, The reason why is the church is filled with sinners. um, And things are going to happen right here within the walls of this church that cause you pain. So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with it when someone hurts us, when anger starts to well up and swell up inside of us, what do we do in that moment? First thing we need to do is we need to focus on the healer, not on the hurt. We all know when we're hurt. We all feel it. It's very obvious. We all know when we're getting mad. We all know when we're about to lose our temper. We must turn to God. We must turn to his word. And let me just say, that is the furthest thing that you want to do in that moment. But that's the thing that we have to do. It's a great practice to apply in our lives within the church. It's a great practice to do in your marriage. You know when you're hurt. You know when when you have pain in your life. And we need to be reminded to do a few things. Focus on the healer, not on the hurt. Which in turn, when we turn to God, when we do that, we're reminded of our value to God. We are made in His image. He loves us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Before the foundations of the world, He had decided to sacrifice His Son for you and for me. And if you know Jesus, if you walk with Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, we are co-heirs to the kingdom of God. We have to remember these things. God values us so much that He sent His Son to die for you. You know, Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. And when that happens, when you find your true value and what God thinks about you, guess what? You really stop, you start ignoring the things that other people think about you or what other people say about you. You know, when Isaiah comes home and his eyes are filled with tears, and I tell him, buddy, it doesn't matter what they say about you because I love you. It doesn't matter um, what they said. You're my 100% my favorite son that I've ever had. He hasn't keyed in that there's not two of them. So he is my favorite son that I've ever had. It's true. And I tell him all the time. I tell both my kids that I love them because I don't want the world to build up their identity. 
I want God to do that, and I want his mom and dad to do that. And God loves you way more than I love my kiddos. His love is perfect. Which leads us to number two. We are reminded that our struggle is not with flesh and blood. You know, Satan loves to get us mad at one another. Satan loves to get us focused on our anger and away from God. And we need to remember that our enemy is not people. It's not the people who hurt us. Our enemy is Satan. Ephesians 6 says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our struggle is not with a single person. Our, our struggle is not with a group of people. It's with Satan. And if you want to be angry with someone, you can uh, just angle that anger towards Satan. We are to be loving to others. We are to respond in love to others. Um, we may not like it, even when we're hurt, especially when we're hurt. We need to remember that our enemy is not that person. Our enemy is the one who wants to destroy us, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. It's Satan. Which leads us to number three. We are reminded that we are not perfect. God loves us even though we are sinners. We also need to realize that people can cause us pain, but the roles can be flipped. We can cause uh, other people pain. And not just the world outside. I'm talking about um, right here within the walls of this church. We can hurt one another. Reality is there has been a time in our lives where we have caused pain to someone else. We might not have even meant it. We might not have even realized that we hurt that person. And in the same way that you would want to be forgiven when you do something wrong... We, are, we should offer the forgiveness to someone else when they have wronged us, when they have hurt us. You have to be able to forgive others. And I don't know what hurt you are facing today. I don't know what type of trials that you may be in today. Um, let me just say that if you do not deal with that hurt, it's going to lead to anger. And in return, that anger is going to lead, lead you down a road that's very destructive in life. It will lead you to make poor decisions. Um, we do that when we're angry. Um, there are far too many Christians in this world. Landon and I were talking about this last night after elders meeting. That there are just some people that are just angry at the world. And there, nothing can make them less angry. They're just upset. And I think there's far too many Christians in the world. Or people who claim to be Christians. Who are just filled with anger. And they take it out on the world around them. We have to turn to the healer and not to the hurt. Because, number three, if we do not deal with our anger, it's going to lead to an overreaction. I think it would be fair to say that Haman's response is going to be an overreaction. One Jew will not bow down to me. One Jew will not honor me. I'm not putting up with it. You know, here's the truth. He was second in command. He could have had him thrown in jail. He could have had him killed. He didn't have to go to the extreme that he did. You know, maybe he should have done like the king did to Vashti and just have him banished. You can never come into my sight again. You are banished. 
The king gave him the, the control to do whatever he wanted. And he goes to the nth degree to do the most damage that he can. He's going to get his point across. Does he end up overreacting? If he does these things. If he banishes him. If he has him put to death. If he puts him in jail. Probably not. But in his anger, it's controlling him. It's taking him to a place where he's going to overreact. And he wants to not just destroy him. I'm going to wipe out all of your people. Whatever it takes. And things seem to be going just as he had planned. So he makes the edict. He goes out for a drink with the king. This happens, doesn't it? When we respond in anger, when we do something in anger, it really feels good in that moment. And we think everything's great. Everything's awesome. But that's not where it's going to end. It's going to end up bad for Haman. It's going to end up really bad for Haman. Because it's not Mordecai's actions that leads to Haman's downfall. It's Haman's response to Mordecai's action that led to his downfall. Let me say that again. It's one of your blanks. It's not Mordecai's actions that leads to Haman's downfall. It's how Haman reacted to Mordecai's actions. If you were to ask Haman at the end of his life, uh, which is not very far away. I'm just going to be a spoiler alert for you. Um, you know, you've always seen the Western movies and they have the guy on the horse that's caused all this trouble and they finally caught him and they got the noose around his neck and they ask him, any last words? Well, if this was Haman, any last words for you, Haman? I, he would have said, this is all Mordecai's fault. One guy wouldn't bow and this is where it ends up getting me. He would still be placing the blame somewhere else. If he would have just respected me, if he would have just bowed down. You talk about the perfect picture of pride. What we talked about, the seven deadly sins. We talked about pride on Sunday. What a great picture of what pride would look like in that moment. And in his pride, it's going to lead him to overreact in this moment. Here's a great quote by Charles, Charles Swindoll. He says this. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearances, than giftedness or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a school, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing that we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. And I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. I saw a t-shirt. It looked like this. I found a picture of it. It says, Humpty Dumpty was pushed. You know, we always want to blame someone for our sour attitude. Um, my kids do this. You know, Isaiah was riding through the house on his hoverboard and just doing circles and circles. And at some point, he did not see this, but my daughter had dropped one of her toys in the floor. And he's just rolling. He's not paying attention. He's just going where he wants to go. And he hits that toy and he eats it. 
And he's crying and he's mad at his sister for throwing the toy down in front of me, Dad. I was like, I was like, buddy, it was not her fault. It was yours. You ran into that toy. It's been there the whole morning. Most of what happens to us in this life, we have zero control over. Most. Some things we do, but most we do not. We can't control how people treat us. We can't control how people will respond to us. We try, but it doesn't work sometimes. We cannot control people. And beyond that, most of what happens in this world, we can't control. But we can control how we respond. We do have a choice in how we react. So how should we respond? Every situation we face in this world, every time we face two options. We can either respond according to the flesh or we can respond according to the spirit. We must respond according to the spirit. You know, think about the fruits of the spirit. It comes very naturally to us to respond in the flesh. It comes very naturally to us to, when something happens to us, we respond immediately. And most of the time when we respond immediately, it's not the good choice of how we should respond. Usually the wrong one. That's exactly what Haman does. He responds in the flesh. And that's exactly what Satan wants for us as well. When things happen to you, when people cause you pain, I want you to get even. That's what the world would have you to do. When we're hurt, we see clearly that Haman didn't respond as he should have. And I hope you're ready for this. It leads us to number two. And this is radical. We should love and pray for our enemies. We haven't heard that before, right? Matthew chapter 5 says this. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on evil and on good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. You know, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we are called to do things differently than the world. The world says get revenge. The world says get even. Uh, hurt them like they hurt you. Uh, we've often joked, uh, my, my brothers and I do unto others before they do unto you. That's not how it really goes, so don't write that down. Punish them for how they've treated you. That's the fleshly way. Which leads us to number three, and this is our big idea. We trust God even when it seems contrary to his promises. I want you to consider Joseph in the Old Testament. Here's a young man, a younger brother, and he's one of dad's favorites, and he has some dreams he tells his brother about these dreams. And his brothers become very angry with him because of these dreams. And because of their anger, they plot to kill him. Then they think it's more profitable to sell him into slavery. So they end up selling him as a slave. He goes to Egypt as a slave. He ends up going to jail because of his morality. He's mistreated by people that he treated well. If there's anyone... Who could have looked at God and said, this is not fair. This shouldn't be happening to me. It's Joseph. Um, it's not fair 
what's happening in my life, it's just not fair. These people aren't treating me right. Then, after rising to second in command, just like Haman, he could have sought revenge, but he didn't. He trusted God in the good days. He trusted God in the bad days. I think one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture is this. In Genesis 50, 20, where he says, when he reveals himself to his brothers, and he says this, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. All through Joseph's life, he trusted God no matter what was happening to him. As he was beaten in jail, as he was serving as second in command, every step of the way, you see him trust God. You see him praising God. Joseph didn't have much go his way in his life. And yet he's going to end up dying a rich, happy old man. Haman had everything going his way. He's going to end up dying alone with nothing. One hurt caused by a little old Jewish man turned to anger and it led him down a path that he didn't want to go to. Ironically enough, God himself has far more reason to act against us than our family. Uh, he has more reason to act against us and our family than the king had to against the Jews. We have not kept God's law. We have refused to bow down to him. We haven't given him the honor that he is due. And he is, it's not to God's profit to tolerate us. Additionally, we have Satan, who sits with more than enough evidence uh, to bring against us that we deserve death. God would be justified in signing an edict for our destruction. How did he act? How did he choose to deal with us? He listened. Um, and then he took his son. And he said, he hands him over to Satan. And he says, the penalty must be paid. You can plunder everything that he has. You can do with him as you wish. But don't touch my people. That's how our God responds to our sin problem. He has every right to be angry with us, every right to uh, separate himself from us because he is holy, holy, holy. And yet he gives us his son in our place so that we could have eternal life with him. If you want to see a true mark of a follower of Christ, um, you see them act with that type of grace. Even when things don't seem to be going their way, they extend grace upon grace. Even when someone hurts them, they respond in love. And when we do that, the Bible says that we shine like stars for all the world to see. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And I hope whatever you're going through today or 
what is coming down the road for you. I pray that we will continue to trust God every step of the way and that we definitely don't let our anger get in the way of serving God and doing what God has called us to do on this earth. Amen.